from the Northeast four years ago uh, to share life with you guys. It is such a privilege. Um, in a way, I kind of feel like I don't need to speak. <laughs> because in an ex extraordinary way, God's already done it. And you'll see as I begin to share how the threads of what God's given me to say to you have already come through um, what we've been singing about and what people have shared. So um, I think that Ange and the team have done a wonderful job of preparing something for us. Yeah. Absolutely. They've worked hard to prepare something for us that spans this whole year. And if you haven't seen uh, the details of what's in store, please do pick up one of the leaflets. Um, it all comes under the banner of friendship. And um, so that's what I've been asked to, to introduce, really. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of friendship. I wonder what it means to you. Fun, laughter, connection, being known, acceptance. A shoulder to cry on. A few of us have needed that already this morning. Someone who will be there, whatever the weather, through the ups and through the downs of life. I think we can all safely say that we want that. Can't we? I don't think any of us don't want that. We were created for relationship, for friendship, to know and to be known. And there's something in all of us that needs heart connection. We were made that way. The Creator wired us that way. We were created primarily for relationship, for connection, for real friendship with the real and living God who wants us to know Him. He wants to be known and He wants to be known, us to be known by Him. So in our look at friendship, that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with our friendship with him, our friendship with God, um, our relationship of intimacy with him, because we make much better human friendships when we've settled a few things with our Heavenly Father. That's true, isn't it? <laughs> it's a biblical truth, and we can find that in the writings of John. So I'm just going to read to you, and... Significantly, as I come to the end, you're going to discover how God has already spoken to us. From 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. Loving one another. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but we love each other. God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit, that we live, which is proof that we live in him and he in us. 
Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Thank you. Now, <laughs> we love each other because he loved us. Okay, so I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to get stuck in. Father, we thank you that um, you just love to talk to us. You love to communicate with us. We thank you that you are a God who loves to connect with us and that you have made it possible for us to experience that and to know that. We thank you that already you've connected us with us this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you would take the words of my mouth and that you would use them to connect again in a deeper way with each of us this morning so that we walk away Lord knowing that we have held your hand this morning that we have touched you that we've seen your face and that we've received something from you that changes us in your precious name I pray Amen so true friendship is lived in openness and honesty it involves trust and acceptance but how many of us if we're really honest struggle to have that kind of friendship with God. We do that thing, don't we, where we settle God in the nice tidy lounge of our lives while we disappear into the kitchen of our lives to deal with the mess. Do you remember that? I spoke about that once before. Sheila Walsh says this, we persuade ourselves that what God wants is polite conversation. Like we can't bring our real mess, our real emotions, our real questions, our real doubts before him in all sincerity and raw truth. But what relationship is healthy without honesty? So often we think, but God knows everything, so why do I need to be honest with him? Why do I need to tell him everything? Well, because it's two-sided, it's relationship. So he wants us to be open with him. He wants us to be honest with him. Yes, he knows, but he wants our whole heart. When we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with him, he's delighted. So being real with God and having real relationship with him means getting him into our everyday. Once we have him in our everyday, we can't be anything but honest with him. He's there. He knows. He's with you when you swear, when you get frustrated or impatient or lose it, when you kick the dog, shout at the kids, give your husband, friend, parent, even God the silent treatment. He's there. If you want to understand honesty, I suggest that you turn to the Psalms. 
they're pretty raw <laughs> sometimes. So in my experience, and that's where I'm coming from, so hear me, I'm talking out of my own walk and my own life with God. There are some of the things here that we do that keep God in the nice tidy lounge out of the messy kitchen. Three things that I want to bring some truth into, really. The first is we perceive him as a God who is only out there. He's external and he's distant. We perceive him as a God who loves conditionally and rewards our good behaviour so we perform and strive to please him. We perceive him as a God who's only interested in us when we're doing spiritual stuff. And so we separate our lives into the spiritual and the non-spiritual. Sometimes we call that the secular. Now I know that we live in a church where we hear good truth. And many of you know what I'm talking about here. You've grown up knowing the truth. But my challenge to you is, do you know the truth so that you're living it? I know God loves me. I know he's not a harsh taskmaster and I don't have to strive and perform. I know he's not distant, but how often do I live <coughs> thinking otherwise? How, how often do I um, allow what I really believe to be how I live? So that's what I want to just dig into out of um, one time. How do we do this real relationship? this close friendship with our real God in real life? How do we let him into the home of our lives? How do we open every room in our world to him? How do we relate or connect in that meaningful and real way to a God who is invisible and completely other, completely different to us? How do we overcome these tendencies we have of performing and striving to please him, of keeping him at a distance, of separating our lives into secular and spiritual. Of course, we pray, we read our Bibles. That's vital and undeniably an important part of knowing God and having relationship with him. But we can pray and we can read our Bibles and still not experience that closeness and that intimacy that transforms us from within. If you're anything like me, here's my confession, there are times when reading the Bible and prayer can feel like a drag. It can feel dry, it can feel dusty, it can feel dull, and it can feel lifeless. So what's missing? What are the secret ingredients for a vibrant and meaningful friendship with God? As we will see, there are some clues in the passage that I've read. Have you ever heard someone say this? But I need God with skin on. Have you ever heard that? But I need God with skin on. I've had that said to me before, and I've said it before. We find it hard, don't we, to do relationship with someone we can't touch with our hands, see with our eyes, talk to as I'm talking to you now. I'm glad somebody agrees. <laughs> and God brought me up short when I said this. I need God with skin on. He said, Fran, you have God with skin on. And I said, yeah, I know, Jesus, he came in the flesh, he had skin on, but he's not here either now, is he? Physically. 
And God said, no, you're not listening to me. You have God with skin on because you are God with skin on. Whoa. You are God with every single one of you here. If you've invited Jesus into your life, you are God with skin on. Now, this is really important for us to get because if we're going to talk friendship, look around, ladies. Look around at each other. You are looking at God with skin on. Doesn't that change things? Doesn't that change things? Doesn't that change how you perceive yourself and how we perceive each other? We are God with skin on. God indwells you. Now, if that doesn't change how we see each other, nothing will. If you're a follower of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is true for you. And it changes everything. So get this. What we have is better than what the disciples had. They had Jesus with skin on. They had his physical presence. But what we have is better than that. How do I know? Well, because Jesus said so. When he was walking with the disciples, talking with them, being real with them, having real relationship with them, breathing with them, eating with them, playing with them, praying with them. He said to them, I have to go. I have to go to my father. It's time for me to go. And they were dismayed. Wouldn't you have been? And he said, no, no, no. This is a better thing. It's a better thing. If I go, what I'm going to send to you is a better thing. Now, we live in that generation where we have the better thing. <laughs> what amazing, wonderful. It's better that I go away, he said. There's something better than my physical presence. It's so that the Holy Spirit can come to you. If I go, I will send him to you, he said. The Holy Spirit, the same power that indwelt Jesus... The same presence, the same reality that he carried when he walked this earth. The same power that raised him from the dead. The same spirit that connected him with his father now lives in you and lives in me. And it's a better thing. So I'm going to just share with you some clues really that helped me to get this from my head to my heart. And the first clue is... He lives in you. He lives in you. We really need to get that into our systems. He lives in you. When we believe, God establishes a relationship with us that's so close that we become one with him. He's in us and we're in him. You are Jesus with skin on. can't say that often enough. We get to have the deepest connection, the deepest friendship, the greatest soulmate relationship with God through Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside you. He's made his home in you. He indwells you. Everywhere you go, you take him with you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've become that holy place where God dwells. You are. You've become that holy place where God dwells. Why do we think we have to go find it? It's in you. <laughs> It's in you. 
This was God's desire from the beginning to dwell within us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. I really, really, really want you to get this. Because when you get this, real relationship with God and real relationship with each other becomes an entirely different proposition. When we realise that wherever I go, he goes, wherever I am, he is, it changes the way I perceive him and the way I relate to him. It transforms me from the inside out. So I have needed a bit of help with this over the years. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. It's not always easy to grasp hold of it. It really isn't. Our minds are very fickle and so easily we forget And the cares and distractions of our day take over, don't they? And we lose sight. But one way that I have found that helps me to get hold of this truth is to look inwards, not upwards. Just think about that for a minute. Because that will probably make some of you go... (laughs) But it's biblical. We, We need to look inwards sometimes. For God, because that's where He is. And so often, in the way we perceive Him, we perceive Him as being up there, out there. It means we lose connection with that fact that He is here. He's here. So, I'm not saying do navel gazing and you know, unpack all your. I'm not saying that. I'm saying look for God because He indwells you. And if you just take some time and just be still, you'll find Him. You'll find him there. The second clue, uh, so that's the first one, God lives in you. The second one is, God loves you. (laughs) And because he loves you, it's not in his nature to love you with limitations. It's not in his nature to love you conditionally. So again, it begins with our view of who God is. Sometimes, we, again, we have to work hard at this. I know I've had to. Over the years, I've really struggled to get hold of the truth that God loves me. And I'll say things like, well, of course he loves me. He has to, doesn't he? He's God. He has to love me. But I'm not sure he really likes me. Not sure he really accepts me. Not sure he really approves of me, but he loves me. And that's a kind of different kind of love, isn't it? That's not real love. Real love is, he likes me. He likes who he made me to be. He approves of me. Even when I'm disapproving, he loves me. He likes me. How many of you stop liking your children when they're naughty? Now, come on. If you can continue to love your kids and like them, how much more are our Heavenly Father? Why do we find it so hard to get this? We need to know the unconditional, outrageous, never-changing love of God. So John says we need to fully experience his perfect love. We need to know how much God loves us, and we need, and here's the rub, to put our trust in that love. That's verse 16. God is love. We need to know he is love and believe the love he has for us. Why do we need to know that? Because it's who he is. 
It's not just a characteristic. It's not just an attribute. It's who he is. God is love. God is delighted with us when we see him for who he really is. When we perceive him correctly. And for a long time, I didn't perceive him correctly. I saw him as I believed him to be. Real friendship with God starts here with this. Knowing God for who he really is, not who you think he is. To know God is to know he is love. Love is his very nature. John makes that crystal clear that the more fully and completely we know God, the more immense the reality of God's love dawns on us. When we open ourselves to the light and warmth of God's presence, we find that even our darkest, deepest secrets and the ugliest parts of ourselves are not beyond God's reach. Nothing in us is so broken or so filthy that God is unwilling or unable to touch it. God embraces us as we are, loves us as we are, and works in us to make us clean and whole and new. He's a loving father. We've said about that this morning. Everything Jesus modelled in his relationship with God came out of this. In their everyday with Jesus, the disciples watched as Jesus lived his life in connection with his father. And John was one of those people. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He makes it very clear in the things he says that connecting with the Father is not about rules. It's not about performance. It's not about rituals or traditions. It's not about religion or external forms or systems of do's and don'ts. It's about the heart. It's about our heart posture. So how do you touch the invisible? How do you know the creator? How do you know him and be known by him? Jesus taught the disciples how. He said, when you come before God, say this, Abba, Daddy, our Father. That was shocking to the Jews of the day who'd been taught to come to God with very respectful, formal, distancing names. And Jesus broke right through that and said, no, Abba, that's our equivalent of Daddy. Daddy. And it's still shocking to us sometimes. We still find it hard. Really? <laughs> Jesus presents them with a father. Accessible, personal, warm, available. He loves you. Deep communion, deep friendship with God is not about keeping rules. It's not about performance. It's not about saying the right words at the right time with the right emphasis. But, if we're honest, most of us do think that way. Most of us, when we think about connection with God, think about where and when should I pray? How long should I pray for? How should I pray? Does God listen more if I concentrate my attention without distraction? Oh, I got distracted. <laughs> Does he listen more if I sit down when I pray? If I adopt a certain posture when I pray? So most of our focus, it's true, isn't it? We do go around this. Most of our focus is on what I do and what I don't do. 
But Jesus makes it clear that it's about seeing who God really is. A God who is near you, a God who loves you. Having your eyes open so that you see a God who's concerned, warm and receptive. He's not impressed by our outward appearance. He sees right into your heart, he sees right into my heart and he longs to bless me. He sent his son to show us how he feels about us and he is filled with compassion towards us. He's moved by our plight. So for those of us who are going through difficult things, he cares. He loves unconditionally. He hears, he's good, he's generous, he's kind, he's loving, he's open, he's receptive, and he's concerned. We have a pair of grey squirrels in our back garden, and they bring me a lot of joy. I'm not amongst those farmers who want to shoot them. I love my squirrels. And they come into the garden, and they chase each other, and their tails flick, and they jump and they scoot and they start in the cherry tree and they tear down and they go up the pine tree chasing each other. They come right down to the patio. Uh, they nick all the bird food that Jonathan puts out for the birds. And I just love to watch them. And at the moment what they're doing is they are taking hazelnuts off our hazel tree and they're coming down to my pots on my patio. <laughs> and I just love watching them because they, they're not, they, they, this treasure, they've got this treasure and they're going to bury this treasure and they're digging away. And what really tickles me is they push this treasure, this hazelnut, into the soil and then they pat it. <laughs> <laughs> and then off they go. <laughs> and I, I'm watching this, you know, seeing how they do this. And I think God smiles like I do. I think God's creation brings him great joy. And I can't think of anything more simple than a hazelnut. I collected the ones that are on your tables, which I hope none of you have tried to eat, uh, from Compton Woods, out with the dog. Um, and a 15th century Christian woman, her name is Julian of Norwich, she wrote the first, this is a little tidbit of interest, she wrote the first surviving book in the English language to be written by a woman. And she describes in her book how God spoke to her using the image of a simple hazelnut. And as a result, a hazelnut has become quite important to me in my walk with God. It's become a treasure. Um, it's a reminder to me, you see, of God's unconditional love for me. Because if you think about a single sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God's knowledge. He clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the birds. And so much goes on in creation. You know when you watch Blue Planet and all these incredible things happen and you sort of think, when we didn't have cameras, all this stuff was going on and nobody saw it. Nobody. But God did. But God did. <laughs> but God did. He cares about it. He is so incredibly omnipresent and loving that he sustains all of that. Why wouldn't he sustain me? I'm the pinnacle of his creation. You're the pinnacle of his creation. So the hazelnut has become quite important to me, and I pocket them 
and I carry them around in my pocket. And for a long time at work, when I was a working lady, and life was busy, and it was hard to hold on to this truth, I carried a hazelnut in my pocket, and every time my hand went into my pocket, I remembered, God loves me. It works. I couldn't carry, I put this down because I thought it was a bit silly. It came into my head. I couldn't carry the petal of a lily round in my pocket for long. It would go manky. Couldn't carry a sparrow. <laughs> Not a good idea. But a hazelnut, yeah, I can do that. I can carry a hazelnut. So that's what I did. So God lives in you. God loves you. And lastly, your very life is in God. So just think about this for one minute. Think about yesterday, Friday. Think about what you did yesterday. What percentage of what you did yesterday was spiritual? And what percentage of what you did yesterday was non-spiritual or secular? You see, our response to God's invitation to real relationship should reverberate into every facet of life at home, at work, in our families, in our communities, as well as in church and in our spiritual expressions. All of life is spiritual. All of life is sacred for followers of Christ. There's no dimension of our lives where Jesus is not present, even when you are making a choice against him, even when you're choosing to do something you know is wrong. He doesn't leave you doesn't get up and walk off. He's still there. He's still present in every aspect of your life. A man who is well known to people in Hope Church, Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> said this. Now forgive the, the ancient language. He was a Victorian study, severe looking fellow. If you've ever seen a picture of him, it's quite he's big. So he's actually a big fat bewhiskered Victorian man who, interestingly enough, and they don't tell you this in Bible school, suffered from depression, significant depression. And this is what he says. To a man who lives unto God, nothing is secular. Everything is sacred. He puts on his workday garment and it is a vestment to him. That's a priestly robe. He sits down to his meal and it is a sacrament. Communion. He goes forth to his labour and therein exercises the office of priesthood. You go to work, you are priests in the world. He sleeps on the bosom of God and lives and moves in the divine presence because God cares about everything you do. When we think of the spiritual stuff of our lives, now come on girls, confess. It's not just true of me, I'm sure. <laughs> like going to church, praying, reading the Bible, evangelism. Isn't it just a dinky slice of the pie? What is that, 5% of our lives? The fact is we spend most of our lives grocery shopping, dog walking, face and bum wiping, <laughs> and most of us feel frustrated at some level because we think that what we do every day in the mundane is meaningless. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Or we feel a twinge of guilt because every time we come home and put on the TV or enjoy a glass of wine, we feel this nagging sense of shame because we think we should be doing something 
spiritual. There was no word for spiritual in the Hebrew Old Testament. In the Hebrews' worldview, everything was spiritual. There was no distinction between secular and spiritual because no part of their, their way, their life, no part of their existence was considered secular. So, this is clue three. Your life is in God. Therefore, there is no division between spiritual and non-spiritual in our lives. If you'd asked Jesus about his spiritual life, I think he'd have looked at you. Uh, what, what? what are you talking about? Everything matters to God. Mums, what you do each day with your little one is sacred work. When you're on your knees changing that smelly nappy, God is on his knees with you. It's sacred work. We tend, we need, and that's, I mean, it's the same for those of us who go out to work. What you do is sacred work. See, we tend to have God in a box. God's in his box. My work is in, my, in that box. My leisure is in that box. And God becomes a tiny slot in our daily routine. But he's interested in what you do the rest of your day. He's with you in it. When you get up to your crying baby, where's Ruth gone? When you get up to your crying baby in the night, you are offering a sacrifice of praise and worship to your Heavenly Father because you are nurturing and investing in a life He's entrusted to you. When you're unable to enter fully into the worship on a Sunday morning, ladies, because you're so busy, looking after that little toddler of yours who's going to cause mayhem if you don't have your eyes on them. Guard your heart. I remember that. I remember being in charge of my three little ones. Jonathan was usually at the front. It was me who was looking after my three little ones. And I remember the resentment creeping in. I can't enjoy the worship. I can't. And you know, it's a real challenge. But your sacrifice of praise and worship in what you're doing is better for God than you being able to close your eyes and enter into the worship and have a feel good. Really, it's your sacrifice of praise and worship. When you rise early in the morning, you drive to work, and at the end of a long and stressful day, you go home to your empty flat. And only God is there for you to tell about your day. God knows. And this is your sacred and acceptable sacrifice of praise. See, it's easy to forget that Jesus was a carpenter. That for 30 years of his life here on earth, he lived out of the public eye. He lived his life in a little village called Nazareth. But God was with him. And he lived his ordinary life behind the scenes with God. If he hadn't done that... It wouldn't have been the thing that shone through him in the three years of his public ministry. That connection he had with his father. And if working a non-glamorous secular job wasn't beneath the embodiment of the creator himself, why should it be beneath me? The line between heaven and earth, the spiritual and sacred, is never far away. Because you are now the embodiment of the creator himself. So now tell me again about what you did yesterday. Different, different eyes, yeah. Some years ago, I came across a book called The Practice of the Presence of God 
by an man called Brother Lawrence. This small book is a classic in Christian literature. It's about a 17th century monk who decided that the presence of God shouldn't be reserved for church services and praying. Whether he was washing the dishes, going for a walk, performing other duties, he decided God was about that. God was about all his life. So he intentionally turned the mundane, ordinary things into opportunities to focus on God and do the ordinary with God at his side. When you find yourself doing the dishes and allowing God to draw your focus to a little fairy liquid bubble and show you the beauty of that and speak to you, that's when you begin to realise the joys of doing the mundane with God. Try it. So how we perceive God is key to having a real relationship with God. He lives in you, he loves you, and you live in him. He wants to do life with you. And as you do, he will transform you from within. He will bring joy and wonder to your life. And he will open your eyes to his love. So I'm just going to ask Phoebe if you would come and just play. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm going to invite you to take a hazelnut from the little dish in front of you. And just contemplate that hazelnut. Hold it in your hand. And we're just going to take an opportunity while I pray over you to allow those truths to really sink in, to allow yourself to just reconnect again with the fact that this incredible miracle has happened where God himself dwells in you. Now I invite you to shut your eyes and just to allow yourself to try this looking inward thing. Find God where he has come to make his dwelling place. Just allow yourself to connect with the immense, outrageous, unconditional, extraordinary love that God has for you. Just allow yourself to connect with the truth that your whole life, your whole being, everything you do is in God and of God and he's interested. So Father, we come before you. We're humbled. We're humbled by the fact that you choose to indwell us. That you make your home within us. And that there is this holy place in each of us that is your sanctuary, your dwelling place. And we thank you for your extraordinary love that is without conditions, without limitations. And we thank you that despite the fact that you are the God who holds the universe in place, I am the apple of your eye. That your vision, because of who you are, because you're this amazing God, your vision is centered on me. 
your word says that when someone touches me, they touch the apple in your eye. So Lord, I just want to pray for these ladies here. I just want to pray, Lord God, right now that you would come again in that fresh wind that you blow. That you would fall again upon each of us in a new way. That your refreshing would come to weary hearts, Lord. That your refreshing would come to hearts that have known this intimacy with you, that have somehow drifted. That your refreshing would come to those of us who live in intimacy with you. But we want more, God. We want more. So we just invite you right now, in this quietness, no big dance, no big show. We just invite you right now, Lord, breathe on us again. Breathe on us again. Ignite again in us your spirit connecting with the truths we've heard this morning. Let it shape us. Let it renew us. Let it transform us. Let it change us. Let it become so much a part of us that we know we are one with you. We live in oneness with you.
Um, this morning, but do continue to enjoy your day with God and doing life with Him. 